grace that was revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord calls us to prepare our minds for action, to be sober in spirit, and to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to come. The Lord calls us to be holy just as Christ is holy, just as He, the Lord God Himself, is holy, and thus the charge of Scripture that we must be sanctified. Sanctification, as we know, is a process that the Lord works in us by His Holy Spirit through the truth of His Word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So week in and week out, we gather as a church body to be sanctified in the truth, to give of our lives as an offering of worship which is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And that offering of worship is acceptable to the Lord because we live in such a way that honors Him. So with that, let's turn our attention to God's Word, the Word by which He sanctifies us. We'll be looking this morning at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, if you have a Bible, please turn there. And we will focus our attention this morning on verses 6 through 10. Title of the message this morning, Sowing Unto Eternal Life. Sowing Unto Eternal Life. And as we look at this text, what may jump out at you as we read it in a moment is there's almost two parallel themes that seem to track through this, through this passage. It's kind of difficult to make an outline because as you read a paragraph, you want to find a single central theme. And it's almost as though Paul has two themes. What are those two themes? He talks about the law of sowing and reaping. If you sow in into the flesh, you will reap that which is fleshly, that which is corrupt, that which is fading away. If you sow in the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap righteousness and eternal life. So that's theme number one. There's a second theme as we read this. There's a word that's common to these verses. It's the word good. Paul says that we should share in all good things, that we should not lose heart in doing good, and that we should do good to all people, to one another, especially to the household of God. So we ask the question, what is Paul getting at here with almost two themes going through a single and short paragraph? I think as we consider the context of Galatians 6 immediately, and then chapters 5 and 6, you know, this letter is broken kind of into two sec- or three sections, chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 and 4, and now chapters 5 and 6. And as we think about 5 and 6, he's talking about practical, holy living. So it's as though as we look at this text, he is aiming to ensure that the Galatians know that what he is teaching them is not some type of pie-in-the-sky piety where you say you pursue sanctification, but then you live like the world. Rather, he's saying, walk by the Spirit. Do not mock God in the way that you live when you call yourself a Christian. Walk by the Spirit. Be holy as the Holy One who called you is himself holy. So with that, let's turn to the text. Let's read God's Word, and then we need to go to his throne of grace and ask for help now in our time of need. Galatians chapter 6 verses 6 through 10. This is the written, revealed word of the living God. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and now let's go before him in prayer. Father, we come to you now, and we ask that you would add blessing to the reading and Now, over the next period of time, the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, for we would be ignorant and foolish to think that we could show up on a Sunday with distractions all around us and not be fully and wholly dependent on your grace and your Holy Spirit to work and to move within us. So, Lord, we come and we ask and we beg that your grace would move among us, that your spirit would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts and cause it to bear fruit. Lord, as we consider the truths before us today, may we ever and always be mindful of the perfection and the holiness and the goodness and the love of Christ. May we be reminded, Lord, that you are holy and just and righteous and almighty. Lord, may we understand that when we take upon ourselves the name and the mantle of Christian, of Christ follower, of disciple of Christ, that we then are not our own. We have been bought with a price, and we must glorify you with and in our bodies. Lord, help us to understand the weight of of judgment, the weight of your call and instruction and command to us to live in such a way as to show that we belong to Christ, to live as those who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Lord, as we have already learned this morning, help us not to love the world nor the things of the world, but deliver us from that evil. Grant us victory over the desire to sin. Grant us victory over temptation. Grant us to see and to savor and to love and devote ourselves to Christ, our great King, our great Savior. Lord, would you show us Christ today? Would you show us our great need for a Savior And would you strengthen us to apply your word and to walk in and according to your truth. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of the ages. Amen. So the Apostle Paul here is unmistakably clear about one thing. God will not be treated with contempt nor with disregard. God will not be mocked by false doctrine. God will not be mocked 
or scorned or scoffed at by the one who calls himself a follower of Christ and yet lives like a son of Satan. Paul tells the Galatians that they will reap whatever they sow. If they sow in goodness and truth and to the Spirit, they will reap eternal life and righteousness. But if they sow seeds to and according to the flesh, they will reap corruption. They will reap destruction. They will reap condemnation. So Paul's aim then is to show us that God will not be mocked or taunted by those claiming the name of Christ who choose to live how they want. Our aim in in this text is to see that those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ must sow seeds of righteousness in and by the power of the Holy Spirit if you desire to reap eternal life. That means that you have work to do. You must fix your eyes on Christ. You must look to the hope of your glorious eternity with the Lord and let that fill your heart with desires to honor and obey the Lord. So our task today is to understand and to to consider this law of sowing and reaping and then really what flows out of that after we consider the law of sowing and reaping is to consider the implications, the applications that Paul draws out. He gives essentially three specific applications, three ways that we, three ways that the Galatians should apply the law of sowing and reaping. So that's what we're going to look at today. And while it's typically best to to follow the path of the scripture to begin with the first verse of the paragraph, I would highly commend that to you the the vast majority of the time. We're going to start at verse 7 today. We're going to start at verse 7 and look at the law of sowing and reaping and then come back to 6 and then look at verse 8 and look at verses 9 and 10. So verse 7, the law of sowing and reaping. Again there, God's word says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. This verse is really the hinge on which this passage hangs and turns. Verse 7 is the ground beneath the exhortations that we see here that give them such importance and urgency. If, If the Lord was not going to reward you or punish you or keep reward from you due to your obedience, your faithfulness, or disobedience, There would be no urgency in these things. It would just be, hey, you go do whatever. You die, you go to eternity and be with the Lord. But that is not what the Scripture tells us. You will reap what you sow. So Paul begins by exhorting the Galatians, exhorting us, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. That's been a running theme of this letter. For that is what the... Judaizers were seeking to do to God's people in Galatia, to deceive them. They were seeking to harden their hearts, to make them callous to the call to obedience. The Judaizers wanted to tell them, if you will just keep these aspects of the law, you can then basically live however you want because the Judaizers would form and write the law to suit and please their own fancies. They sought to deceive the people of God. Deception is real. False teachers are real. False conversion is a real and clear and present danger. There are those who name the name of Christ who need to know that they are in danger 
of going to hell for all eternity if they do not run to Christ for forgiveness and in repentance. Paul's instruction is clear that we must resist and we must guard against such deception. We must stand firm. We must make war in the spiritual realm against the act and the the stronghold and the attacks of Satan. We must stand firm. We must not be deceived by the great deceiver. But Paul has a specific point in mind here. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So there's that certain application or implication to the exhortation not to be deceived. God is not mocked. We could define this term at least a couple ways. Thayer's Dictionary offers a simple description. It says that God does not allow himself to be mocked. Simple, straight to the point. Totally agree with that. Vine's Dictionary adds to that just a little bit, and it's a helpful way to consider what the Scripture is really getting at here. He says that this does not mean that men will not mock God, because men certainly do, but that it's impossible to impose upon him who discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So God is not going to allow himself to be trifled with. Proverbs 1.30 says of the wicked that they would not accept the Lord's counsel and they spurned all of his reproof. That is what a mocker of God does. They reject his counsel, they reject his word, and they spurn and reject the reproof of the truth. So wicked men will scoff at and they will deride the Lord. They will take their stand against the Holy One. But, friends, we must remember God is holy, He is just, He is righteous, He is sovereign and almighty, and He will not be mocked. He will not stand by and allow His name to be drugged through the mud. The Lord has an eternal perspective, so the guilty and the unjust and the sinners may prosper for a period. But they will stand before the throne of judgment in eternity, and they will answer to the Lord. And friends, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. So how does this apply to the Christian? Such scoffing is not only in word only, but it's also in deed. It's not just the one who stands and verbally speaks against the Lord, but it's the one who lives against the Lord in their life. So how does this apply? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Herein lies the law of sowing and reaping, that due to the Lord's zealous protection of his name, he will hold you accountable. You will, in eternity, and possibly even in this life, you will reap what you have sown. Should you profane the name of Christ by calling yourself a Christian and living like a devil, you will reap that corruption. Whether here and now, in your life here, or certainly in eternity, you will reap that same defilement, that same profaning, that same mocking that you have heaped on the name of Christ. Should you vainly call upon the Lord for your own personal benefit? You know, there was a time, it may not exist uh, today in much of our nation, but there was a time where you could call yourself a Christian and be thought well of. 
And in certain pockets and circles, that can still be the case. And if you were to call on the name of the Lord only for your own benefit, and then go out and live like a child of the devil, to go out and live a sinful and sin-filled life, the Lord will hold you to account. If you trample underfoot the precious blood of the covenant, the Lord will not deal lightly with you. Or hopefully, the Lord will not have dealt lightly with Christ in your position. Because that's the good news, friends, that though you may do these things, there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's grace, and there is life, but you must come to Christ. You must repent of your sins. You must turn away from that former life of ungodliness, come and be covered with the blood of Christ, so that though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Tying this together, and this idea of sowing and reaping, do not be deceived. God will not allow you to go out and live as you want and then come to his judgment throne at the end of days and say, but God, I I wanted Christ. I I did my best. No, you must run to Christ in faith and repentance. And then the Spirit of God fills you and your life will be transformed. There's great warning here to see that according to the seeds that you sow in this life, so too you'll reap them in the harvest of eternity. This is not works-based salvation. This is not adding the law to grace. This is not name-it-and-claim-it theology. This is the truth and authority of God's Word. That which you sow, you will reap. Those who love Christ seek to know him. Those who love Christ want to be counted with him, want to live a life that honors and lifts high his name. Those who love Christ do not want to add to the penalty that he suffered at the cross in their place. Rather, you want to be holy as he who called you is holy. You want to walk in the spirit and put away the desires of the flesh. You want to display the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh being evident in you. That is, again, if you love Christ. So with that, Paul sets forth three specific areas in this text where we can kind of think through and apply this law of sowing and reaping. These are areas, I think, that apply to the idea of sowing and reaping because these are things that take investment. They take investment And you may not see immediate return. You may not sow the seed today and reap the harvest tomorrow. That's not how the analogy works. If you go plant a seed, it will have to be nourished and grow, and then eventually it will sprout and you will see the fruit. So it is with God's law of sowing and reaping. You sow the seed, and then the Lord, the Lord, not you, the Lord brings the harvest. So let's look now at verse 6 then. Verse 6, and we'll call this seed the seed of fellowship. Sow the seed of fellowship. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now the word taught here is very important. It kind of 
helps us understand how to interpret exactly what's said here. If we don't understand this word correctly, we really can't interpret this verse correctly. The Greek word here is the word katecheo. You might be familiar with the idea of catechism, to catechize. And, and so that's kind of what Paul is intending here. This word is not typically used in the New Testament to indicate or for the u- typical uses of teaching. It's more of a generic term. And so with that, within this context, I think we can very safely pull out the idea that Paul's not writing only of pastors or elders or teachers, but he's writing of everyone who calls the name of Christ who then shares and seeks to apply the word to their fellow saints and fellow believers. Again, think about the earlier context in Galatians 6. We looked at it last week where Paul said that those who are spiritual... Those who are walking in the Spirit are to restore a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. So if it's those who are spiritual that do that act of restoring, surely it's those who are spiritual, those who are in Christ, who are able to catechize a brother or sister with the Word, to bring the Word to bear on their life. You don't have to get up and stand behind a pulpit to bring the Word to bear on the life of a brother or sister. You can do it via text message. You can do it around the dinner table, in the living room, on the phone, over coffee. There's a number of ways that Christians can bring the word to bear on the lives of one another. So it seems that that's really where Paul's focus is flowing from in this, that those who are in the Lord should bring forth the truth of God to bear on one another's lives. So with that, we can kind of look at this from from two separate um, angles, if you will, because we have this informal type of sharing the Word and teaching in the Word, but there's also the formal. We're we're in a formal setting right now where we are formally under the authority of God's Word together. So let's think about that. Paul says that the one who teaches, um, the one who has taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So let's think about how do we share all good things with those who teach us. Firstly, consider the the informal setting. So the informal setting, let's kind of consider the the more generic or informal use of the word share here. It's the Greek word koinoneo. We we know the word koinonia. It means fellowship or, or sharing or partnership. So when you consider a brother or sister who teaches the word to you in that formal way, informal way, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to fellowship with them, partnership with them, share life together with them, offer them Christian communion and Christian fellowship. In a realistic way, friends, I think as we've probably learned even a little bit more over the last couple years, there is nothing better, nothing more precious that we can offer to a fellow saint than genuine friendship. When we had, especially at the start and height of the whole COVID thing, when we had people staying at home for days and weeks and months at a time, think about what you could offer. You could offer friendship and and Christian fellowship, and that was it. That is the greatest thing you have to offer a fellow believer. Genuine fellowship in and under and around the truth. For it's not genuine if it's not truthful. 
So what about the, the other side of that coin, the, the formal aspect of the teaching of the Word? Um, a lot of the commentary and, and sermons that I read and listened to on this kind of focus more on this formal aspect of preaching and teaching the truth of pastors and elders, those who lead and are employed by the church. And so in that case, it's understood that sharing all good things would speak to financial support. If you have a vocational minister who is week in and week out called vocationally and by the Lord, by the church, to be the preacher of the word, Scripture is clear. Share all good things. Provide for them financially. Now, we'll put the caveat there. It's not a mandate. It's never mandated in Scripture that a pastor or an elder must make pastoring or eldering or preaching their vocation. They're free to go and work in the private sector, doing whatever they might will, whatever the Lord would have them to do, and they do not have to take a salary from the church. But you're also familiar with what 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says. The elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So we have these two sides to the coin that you have that informal act of sharing in the word where you have really fellowship and friendship and communion to offer. I think the application there is don't always be a taker in relationships. It's easy to always be a taker in relationships and friendships. When, when um, When somebody diligently invests themselves in your life, Don't just always be on the receiving end of that. Now, if you have an older, wiser, more mature saint investing in your life, you may not have a whole lot to share with them in this idea of teaching. But you can share with them in friendship. You can go invest your life in another person as well. Friendship and fellowship take real investment. They take time, they take energy, and they take resources. So don't always be a taker. To those whose vocation is the care and the shepherding of the church, especially through the ministry of the word, we see that we should share all good things with them, especially as it pertains to their financial welfare. From the day of its inception, Grace Covenant has been a faithful example and model of this. Grace Covenant has always cared for and shared with and provided for the men who have led this church. In times of need or over long periods, this church is faithful, and I commend you for that. But in way of application, we can also add that that doesn't mean that we only provide financially. If you have a vocational minister, you don't say, I've written my check for the week or the month or however you tithe, and, and I'm done. Pastors and elders need friends. They need communion. They need fellowship. So the same thing that we looked at for the informal applies to the formal. Give yourself to being a friend and companion to those who teach the word to you, no matter how they teach the word to you. Give of your life to share with them as we walk together to our eternal home. So what is Paul's command? Sow a genuine seed of communion and fellowship with your fellow saints, especially those who invest the word in your life. 
And friends, you will reap what you have sown. If you sow in laziness or disconnectedness in relationships, that's what you're going to get back. If you sow in discord or discontentment or disunity or division, if a brother or sister brings the word to bear on your life and you reject that because you don't like the truth, you will reap exactly what you sow. In that case, you will reap that which is corrupted. But if you sow in peace and patience and love and humility and receptiveness to the truth, if you sow that seed in your relationships, what you will reap is the harvest of genuine friendship, genuine fellowship, those who will come alongside of you and encourage you and strengthen you and build you up even in your darkest of days. So that is the seed of fellowship. Let's look now at verse 8 and consider the seed of spirit-filled living. The seed of spirit-filled living. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. MacArthur explains that there's really only two fields in which the believer can sow any person. Can sow. You can sow in the field of the spirit, or you can sow to the flesh. You can sow in the flesh. So what does it mean to sow in the flesh? What does the seed sown in the flesh look like? Calvin would say that sow in the flesh is to look forward only to the wants of the present life. To sow in the flesh means that you are so consumed with what you desire now, what you want today, that that is all you ever think about. That is all you ever work towards. You don't have an eye to eternity. You don't even have an eye to the future. You're living for the here and now, and you're living for the cravings of your flesh. All you look for is the pleasure and the fulfillment that you can find in this life alone. But hear what Scripture has to say to that. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Peter writes there, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. You are an alien and a stranger. You are a sojourner who does not belong in this world. Your eternal home is in heaven. You are a member of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this earth. And Scripture calls us to live in such a way. Do not sow in the flesh by giving in to the cravings and lusts of the flesh. Those who are in Christ know that this is not our home. And friends, that's a great and a comforting truth. When you, when you walk through hardship, when you have difficult days, when you give in to the temptations of sin, when you're in Christ, you take great comfort in knowing that you are a sojourner. You are an alien. There will be a day when the Lord will sanctify you and make you perfect and call you to his eternal home where you will not battle with sin anymore. But we must not sow to the flesh to experience that. What do you reap if you sow to the flesh? Scripture tells us, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. You will reap that which is perishable. 
You'll reap that literally which is being brought into an inferior or a worse condition. That which is going away, not that which is getting better, but that which is getting worse. That which is decaying, that which is being corrupted. That is your reward if you sow the seed of giving in and seeking after the desires of your flesh. One true mark of repentance is that seeing that your former sins are, are, are this seed of the flesh. To see that all of your former sins, if, if you are truly repentant, you see that your former sins lead only to corruption. Your former sins are seed sown unto the flesh, and they will bring corruption, defilement, and condemnation. So contrasted against this, then, Paul says that we are to sow to the Spirit, and we will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sow to the Spirit, and from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Peter begins his first epistle by talking about our great salvation. And he talks about us obtaining that which is imperishable and undefiled. He says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So all this is bound up and found in Christ. And all that comes to fruition so that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. This imperishable inheritance that you have is literally the exact opposite of that which is corrupted. So what you reap when you sow to the Spirit is obviously and clearly the exact opposite of what you reap when you sow in the flesh. You will sow that which or you will reap that which is imperishable. Why is your inheritance imperishable? Because it's kept by God. It is reserved in heaven with God himself, the creator of all things, guarding it. When you sow in the Spirit, what you will reap does not depend upon you. What you will reap depends upon God, and God keeps his every promise. God does not fail to be faithful. So what does it look like, practically speaking, to sow to the Spirit? Obviously, that means to strive to walk in the Spirit. In its most basic sense, it is sowing spiritual things, walking in the Spirit, living a life focused on allowing the Holy Spirit of God to live in and to work in and to work through you. It's living with a focus on eternity, being preoccupied in your heart and your mind with spiritual things. To sow in the Spirit is to walk by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to walk according to the mind of the Spirit. And we know that the mind of the Spirit is the Word of God. To sow to the Spirit is to give your time to the truth of God's Word. To give your energy to the study of the truth and the application of the truth. To give of yourself to allow the Spirit of God to transform your life. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes there, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. To sow to the Spirit is to be seeking the things above. 
Paul continued, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. That which fills and occupies your mind will fill and occupy your desires. Your desires are the seed that you will one day sow. So if you want to sow to the Spirit, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Set your mind upon Christ so that Christ then becomes your greatest desire. Christ becomes that which fulfills you, that which brings you joy. And then you will sow seeds to the Spirit. If you desire to reap eternal reward... And I would imagine we could go person by person in this room and every single person would desire to reap eternal reward. If that is your desire, the scripture is clear. Sow to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Fix your eyes upon the hope that you have in Christ. Fix your eyes on Christ and then run your race with perseverance. Put aside that which causes you to stumble. Put aside that which is a hindrance to you. Put aside that which might cause your flesh to well up in you and cause you to sin. Put those things away and walk with Christ. Love Christ. Let Christ fill your mind. Then he will fill your desires. And then the Spirit, by God's grace, will cause you to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So that's the the second implication of the law of sowing and reaping in this text, to sow a seed of spirit-filled living. There's a third and final implication here. It might be the fourth point, depending on how you're taking notes. And it's the seed of loving others. The seed of loving others, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Paul gives this steadying charge to the Galatians. He says, let us not lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in pursuing moral excellence in your own life and pursuing moral excellence in how you interact with other people. Do not grow tired of serving others. Scripture doesn't give us the option to love and serve and do good to other people only when we have something to gain. Think about what Jesus said. This is not a direct cross-reference or anything, but just think about the principle at play here with the principle that we're looking at. Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you. If that is our command, I can assure you that you will grow tired and you will grow weary in doing good to other people. Because you're even called to do good to those who are your enemies, to those who hate you, to those who persecute you. There will be times when our efforts to do good to other people will be thwarted by those other people or by Satan. There will be times when our, our efforts to do good to someone else are rejected or resisted. But Scripture says, do not lose heart. Do not grow weary. Continue on doing what is right. Why such a charge? 
because Paul says, if you do this in due time, you will reap. You will reap what you've sown if you don't grow weary. At the proper time, the Lord will bring the benefits of the seed of loving others and doing good to others that you, will, that you have sown. Now, we must understand that our occasion, our chance, our opportunity to do good will not always be present. Paul says, so then, while we have opportunity, while we have, the Greek term is kairos, and it typically describes that which is fixed or definite, that which has a, a fixed end. And so MacArthur makes the point here that it doesn't re refer to the occasional opportunities that we have in life to do good to other people. What Paul is speaking of is the whole of your life, that your life is fixed, you have a fixed period of time that you will live, and in that fixed period of time, you are called to do good to others. You're called to love others. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul's writing here, promises that this goodness and this love for others will lead you to reap the exact same, will lead you to reap what you have sown. Now, we must understand we do not look for this reaping in this life. The Lord, in His sovereignty, in His rule and reign over all things, sure, He can bless you as He sees fit. You might go out and do a good deed, and the Lord may reward you 100-fold, and if he does, praise the Lord. But we do not reap. We do not look to reap in this life. Like a farmer, we sow our seed in due season and expect the return in the proper and due season. And the season where the Lord promises that he will always reward us for the good we've done is eternity. That's when we receive the reward for the good that we have done. That's where we, we receive the reward of walking in personal holiness. So we must sow these seeds, and then we look forward to our reward in heaven. Ask yourself, would you, and specifically in speaking of good things, not even the idea of, of the condemnation and suffering that could come in this present life, but the rewards that the Lord would give you, would you trade an eternal reward because you are so temporally focused that you want that reward today? The rest of your life is but a blink of an eye in eternity scope. So would you not rather the Lord in his sovereign wisdom hold that blessing and give you that reward when you can enjoy it for all eternity? We must ask the Lord to focus our hearts and our minds on this because as people, it's very easy to become focused on the here and now. This is what affects us now. Or this is what we think affects us now. We don't understand eternity. Our minds can't comprehend it. And so we can easily become focused on the here and now. So we must ask the Lord for help and for grace to give us that focus and to give us a joy that is lasting and fulfilling in glorifying Him with how we live. That is how you will be filled with that desire, is that you go to the Lord and you beg and you ask, and then you sow those seeds in your life that will cause those desires to be your desires. Now, I do want to give just a brief word 
on the end of verse 10. I, I would hate to skip over this, though our time is getting short. Paul says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. There's no clearer sign, according to Scripture, that you belong to God than that you love His people. We are called, yes, to love the world, to go out and proclaim the glorious good news of Christ to the lost and dying world around us. But Jesus said the world will know you not by how often you go out and evangelize, not by how much you give to the church, not by any other factor, but by your love for one another. If you sow this seed of loving the brethren, there is often, most often, a, a blessing that you receive in this life, and it's the blessing we looked at earlier, the blessing of friendship. If you seek to do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, the Lord and His kindness is probably going to give you those close and dear friends in this life who you walk with through trial, through joy, through triumph, through suffering, through sin, those who are at your side no matter what the occasion. And that is one of the greatest blessings the Lord can give you, to have those people who you know will be there no matter what. Again, that is a blessing that the Lord often gives when you sow the seed of loving others, of doing good to other people. So do not lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good. You may invest and invest and invest in a friendship, and you may never see the reward, but understand that the Lord will bring that blessing. Oftentimes, the Lord will bring that blessing in this life, and what a what a sweet blessing it is to have those at your side that you can go to war with. We're not talking about those who you can get together with on Saturday night and watch the football game and cheer together with. I can do that with anybody. We're talking about those who are at your side when the chips are down, when the world is crumbling around you. You may see the earth caving in, but you have a brother or a sister who is at your side, who will hold you, who will pull you up, who will walk with you through the darkest of times, and that is only the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God. So in due time, you will reap as you have sown. This is a promise of the Lord. We must sow seeds of genuine godliness and genuine fellowship uh, the seeds of love and patience and humility with one another. Paul told the Philippians, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interest, but also the interest of others. Paul then said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Really, to properly love the brethren, to properly sow seeds unto eternal life, that's the key. To have the attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. To prize holiness. To value the glory of the Lord. 
to be willing to subject yourself to whatever the Lord may bring to you so that you may honor and glorify and magnify his great and holy name. To properly love one another, friends, we must nourish our own souls. We must invest the truth of God in our own lives because otherwise you become a dry cistern with nothing to offer. So if you want to sow a seed of good in another's, you must first sow the seed to the Spirit. You must give of your life and your time and your energy to fill your heart and your mind with the truth of God's Word. Probably sound a little bit like a broken record, but that means that you must discipline yourself to study the truth. That means you get up early and or stay up late with an open Bible in your hands. You find your free time and you read and study and seek to apply God's word. You must nourish your own soul in order to be able to be a good friend, to be able to properly fellowship with God's people. You must be filled up so then you can pour yourself out into others. You must commit yourself to commune with the Lord in prayer. You must commit yourself to gather with the Lord's people to worship Him. You must commit yourself to invest in those who truly and genuinely point you to Christ. You will reap what you sow. And you will sow to that which is your greatest treasure. Is your greatest treasure Christ, or is your greatest treasure a thing of the world? You will sow to that which you love, and then you will reap as you have sown. This is a promise of the Lord. May we go from here and be filled with Christ. May we love and desire and seek to serve Christ in all that we do. May we strive to glorify his name, for he and he alone is worthy. I ask you now to um, stand with us. We will, will not sing a closing song this morning. We will